concluding these uh, couple chapters we started several, several weeks ago. Uh, as you know, we, we were at this point uh, about three weeks ago, I think it was. Uh, I was out of town, uh, Brother Jeff filled in for me one, and we had last week the mission. So we're about three weeks ago, uh, we would have been on this page, but we're going to try to finish it. It looks like there's, there's two different studies tonight, but really they're, they're both in one. Uh, the end of chapter number six leads into chapter number seven. Uh, basically it's kind of like this. He has given him warnings of the subject we are going to talk about tonight in chapter number six and, and teachings about that. Then in chapter number seven, he, he basically describes a living color illustration of what he's talking about and, and tells a story of a situation that takes place of what he just described in chapter number six. So if that makes sense, say amen. So what we want to do is put chapter 6 and chapter 7 together and study them together, and I think we'll get a clear picture of what we're trying to do, all right? So last time, we stopped in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. So let's begin there, and then we'll uh, continue with our study. Y'all glad to be saved? Y'all glad to be here tonight? Amen. Amen. I am too. I am too. Let's read verse number 20. My son... Keep thy father's commandment and forsake not. Let me, let me back up a minute. Let me back up a minute. Remember in, in, in our study that we have a father addressing a son in, in these studies. So uh, sometimes it always seems like it's a, a, a man or a study for a man and he's addressing the, uh, the adulterer would be the woman, but it works both ways. So if he had a daughter, he would be addressing her and talking about him. Does that make sense? So either way, it's the same principle, but he is addressing his son. That's why it's in the, it's in the form it is. So either way, it works both ways. All right, now let's read. My son, keep thy father's commandments and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. And when thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and the reproofs of instruction are the ways of life. Now, uh, it, verses 20 through 23 deal with the word of God. In all three chapters, five, six, and seven, we're dealing with the subject of sexual temptation, sexual immorality, adultery, if you will. All of these are together. In every situation, he always began with, pay attention to my word. Pay attention to my instruction. Pay attention to the word of God. Why? We have to stay in the word. If we're ever going to have what we need to defend ourselves against temptation and the, the wiles of the devil, we have to know the word of God. Are y'all with me? Say amen. All right. Now, he goes into the, the, the instruction here in verse 24. To keep thee, why do you need to know the word? To keep thee from the evil woman. Now, if you're a lady in here, it's the evil man. All right. So it works both ways. From the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though though thou givest many gifts. Father, help us tonight. God, this is a devastating plague on our country. Uh, we, we are seeing it all the time. Uh, Lord, it's glorified and magnified on TV and in our culture. And God, it's creeping in the, into the church, and it always has. And God, we, we pray that you will give us wisdom tonight. Give us strength and understanding to understand your word so that we can uh, uh, be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. God, I pray your will be done. Bless our families, strengthen our homes, strengthen our marriages and relationships. Lord, I pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Now, we are on page, if you will look 
in your notes, we are on page one. You see two different outlines. You're saying, well, which outline are we on? It's page number one. Look at the bottom of your page, and you'll see a page number. Now, if you need a lesson, if you, you walked in and you forgot to get a lesson, hold up your hand. Hold up your hand, and we'll, we'll make sure and run and get a lesson to you. We've got some guys back there going to run like the wind. Got several on this side. I want to make, make sure everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. Several over here. Mark, you done your ankle up, didn't you, son? My gracious. He has, he has wounded uh, Kelly, has kicked him for the last time. Amen. All right. <clears throat> no, she didn't. She just needed to. <laughs> Amen. Uh, all right, here we go. Now, page number one. Let's look at this thing. First off, number one, uh, I want you to see first, I want you to see the carelessness to avoid. The carelessness to avoid. He begins instruction, and he begins teaching his son about adultery and how to, how to abstain from adultery, how to stay away from that, that sexual temptation in that way. And he, and he talks about two things here in verse number 24 and verse number 25. He says, To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Uh, let's, let's write down two things there. A. I want you to write down the word listening, listening, careless listening. All through, all through these chapters, you'll find out that it always begins with flattery. Nobody just goes and jumps in the sack with somebody else that's not their husband or not their wife uh, just off of a whim, off of a, 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 a just, hey, let's just, we, we just feel like it. it never starts that way. Every situation in chapters five, six, and seven always began with flattery. It always begins with flattery because in the beginning, flattery always seems so innocent. Well, I, I like that haircut. Or you look very nice today. It seems so innocent. It seems, it seems like it's not that big a deal, but it always leads to worse things. Now, most of the time, when you see somebody flattering somebody, uh, it, it begins very small, but it always grows. It always grows. He said, be careful. Be careful. Be careful of what she says. Look what it says in Proverbs 5.3. It's right there in your notes. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Proverbs 6.24. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Proverbs 7.21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Be careful, he says. Be careful of, of praise. Be careful of complimenting. Be careful of flattery. Uh, uh, I, I, I may come back to that one. All right, B, write this one down. Listening, careless listening, but then B, careless looking. He says in verse number 25, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. What does that mean? He says be careful at looking. Be careful at the second glance. Now, there's no doubt. There's no doubt God made a lot of beautiful women and a lot of handsome guys on this planet. And, and there's no way to avoid all. If God would have made us all ugly, that would have been great. Say amen. It would have been perfect. I mean, if he made all women look alike, I mean, there would be no temptation for guys. It would have been wonderful. But we know that didn't happen, and that, that's just, it's just the way it is. And you're not going to be able to avoid a good-looking person. And that's not the issue. It's not the issue of somebody being there. The issue is the second glances and the second thoughts. He says, look, what he says, lust not after her beauty. In other words, constantly con contemplating that and desiring that and looking for that and wanting that. Be careful. Be careful. And, and I'm going to go into detail with this it, down, through the, down through the study so uh, uh, we can talk about it a little more. Lust not after beauty. Job said this in Job 31.1. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? Uh, Proverbs says look straight on. Jesus said if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. You know why? Because Jesus knew that adultery didn't start with the outside of the physical body. It always starts in the heart. Now where, where does that begin? <laughs> Flattery. That flattery, those nice things. Because here's what normally happens. Here's what normally happens. You have a married, a married couple, and a lot of times in that, in that marriage, there is a deficiency. There is a deficiency. He is not complimenting her enough, or she is not respecting him enough. Uh, in one way or the other, uh, there is a, their, their love tank, if you will, or that part of them, that, that, that tank is empty, and somebody else 
does the complimenting. Somebody else does what the spouse should have been doing the whole time. I, I read a story about a man who wouldn't kiss his wife for 10 years and then shot the man who did. Now think about that a minute. Think about that a minute. Uh, we are not doing the complimenting. We are not doing the respecting. But then somebody at work throws that compliment out. And it may be very innocent. It may, be, it may have no, no, no ill will to it whatsoever. But when you are starving for affection, you are starving for attention, any compliment seems like the greatest thing in the world. And when you get a compliment even from an ugly person, it, it means a whole lot. Are y'all with me? Now, y'all know me by now. I'm going to be plain and practical. Are y'all with me? Am I telling the truth? So let's be careful. How do we avoid that? Listen, guys, your wife needs to know that she's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you besides Jesus. She needs to know that you love her. You love her. Ladies, he needs to know you respect him. You respect him. Now, if you are constantly downgrading him or criticizing him in public, you're, you're, you're cruising for disaster. And guys, if you're never affirming your wife and you're never, you're never strengthening that area of her life, I promise you will. Somebody will. Somebody will. So here we have a situation where there's a lot of flattery. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of complimenting. There's a lot of praises going on. Now it goes not just, not just from appreciation. Now it's attraction because now it's looking. It's not just listening, but it's looking. It's seeing that part of it. He says that's very careless activity we have to avoid. He says in verse 24, keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Be careful what you hear. Be careful what you hear. Be careful what you see. Verse 30, 25. Let's not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. I, I, I wondered about that. I wondered about that statement. So I, I, dig, I dug just a little deeper in that statement. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. What is he saying there? It's those glances. Y'all are more than welcome to come preach this if y'all want to. I'm just... I'm just trying to keep it real. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's flirtatious looks. What does that mean? What is it? Let me, let me, if we're just going to be practical tonight, the look that says, I want you. I desire you. Do you know why? Do you know why pornography is so addicting to men? Number one, men are wired to be attracted and, and be stimulated by sight. But the second thing is, is even more dangerous. It is because most all the women in the, the, the pornographic pictures has that look and has the look of desire and has the look of wanting. And see, when, when, when we have a spouse that's just just supplying a need and not wanting or desiring. It's not the same thing. Say, well, I, I'm intimate with my husband and, 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 and you know, I, I, I'm just not into it, but I know he needs it, so I'm going to just help him out. Guess what? When that, when that picture is shown and that video or whatever it is, every woman there desires that man, and that's what's attractive to the man. I was, I was listening to a a. a uh, radio show about marriage and divorce and 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 uh it was ladies interviewing ladies and and they, this is this is what they said one lady psychologist uh uh she uh interviewed several several hundred men and asked them and asked them this uh would you rather be intimate with your wife one time when she was really in the deal when she she acted and showed that she really desired you and and was uh uh wanting you or or 10 times when it was just an act and 95% of the men said that one act when she was in the deal he says be careful 
Be careful of don't, don't watch them glances. Watch those, watch those things. Be careful of that. Now, he says in the next verse, he says in the next verse, verse number 26, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? What a question. Verse 28, another question. Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Two things here. First, we saw a carelessness to avoid. Then secondly, we see a certainty to accept. Now, there's one thing about it. There's one thing about it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, you can play with fire, but you're going to get burnt. Now, we can, we, can, we can think we're really good, and we think, we think we're really sneaky, and we think we're, uh, uh, you know, that, that this, none of this, I'm going to get away with it. You, you are not going to get away with it. You're just not. The Bible says in this verse, it says in verse number 26, uh, uh, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. Now, what does that mean? That means the lowest level of poverty. Two things is is a certainty. Two things is a certainty. When we stray away from the marriage bed, when we stray away from the boundaries that God gave us into this realm of adultery, two things are going to happen. A, bankruptcy, verse 26, and then B, burning, verse 28 and 29. Bankruptcy. Verse number 26 parallels chapter 5 and 7 through 14. Let me read this. It says, Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh unto her door. Why? Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. In other words, everything you work for your whole life. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth. Uh, The divorce lawyer is going to get that money. And thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thy mourn, thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. Are y'all with me? Say amen. To be brought to a piece of bread means to be degraded to the lowest level of poverty. If adultery results in a scandal, a lawsuit, and a divorce, the price will not be cheap. It's amazing to me the people who have everything, have everything. Aaron Hernandez was arrested this morning, just released uh, uh, from the, uh, the, the Patriots. He had just signed a deal for $40 million. Now his life's destroyed. I, I, I can't help but think about uh, Paterno. Is that, is that how you say his name? Paterno, Paterno, Paterno. The one in Arkansas. Okay, doofus, that's, that's how you say his name. <laughs> Look what he had. Fame, power, money. Everybody in Arkansas treated him like a god. But threw it away. Threw it away. You're not going to get away with it. Bankruptcy, burning. He says... In verse number 27, can a man take a fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Fire's a good thing if it's confined and controlled. It can keep us warm. It can cook our food. It can drive our turbines, manufacture our electricity. Man, sex is a good gift from God, but like fire, if it gets out of control, it becomes destructive. What begins as a warm experience soon becomes a burning experience like holding a torch in your lap or walking on burning coals. What does it mean? It just simply means this. The Bible says this, be sure your sin will find you out. There's a certainty to accept. The number three, there's a comparison. Now, some of y'all are going to get sideways about this one, uh, but it is what it is. And, uh, and, and I think I can prove it by the Bible. Uh, a lot of people have this idea that, that every sin's the same. Every sin's the same. Uh, I've even heard people. I've even heard people say this. Well, you know, the Bible says if I lust after her with my eyes, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so I might as well go ahead and. That is so foolish. Not to mention stupid. It's not the same. 
Sin is not the same. Watch, he gives a comparison. He says, let me tell you about this one, and then let me tell you about this one. He begins to talk about a thief. How many of y'all believe thieving is wrong? Right? It's, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's a sin. But watch how we see a comparison. First, A, there's a comparison of offenses. There's a comparison of offenses. We have two different offenses he's describing here. He says in verse 30, Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. Now, this man has, has stolen. Uh, it's bad. Everybody knows it's bad. Uh, you'll pay for it, and uh, uh, you'll deal with it. You even pay restitution for, for that. But then we have a different sin. Then we have a different offense. But whoso committeth adultery. In other words, he describes what happens to the thief in verse 30 and 31, but, but then you find the word but in verse 32. Now we see something different. Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Verses 30 and 31 remind us that uh, uh, we, we see a comparison of offenses, but then B, we see a comparison of outcomes. A comparison of outcomes. We see the sins are different. The offenses are different. Now the outcomes are different, which reveals that the sins are different. Remind us that it is an understandable, uh, depending on the mitigating circumstances, if a man steals because he's starving. He nonetheless required to make satisfactory restitution. He's still going to have to deal with it and pay for it. A thief's damage is temporary and has a solution. It is not so with the adulterer. His crime has no physical need to invoke sympathy. He wounds his good name and disgraces his family. Though the guilt can be cleansed through repentance, the reproach of it never will. Just like David's reputation bears a perpetual blemish in spite of his good character and fame, there is nothing that can be done that will satisfy the wound of an adultery. The offense is so great, nothing can be done to appease the husband, and the husband will rightfully desire to inflict the punishment for what has been done. What does that mean? If you steal from somebody, you can pay restitution, and sooner or later, they'll forget about it. Sooner or later, you can get over it. You'll move forward. You'll move on. But over here, on the other side of that deal, even though stealing is bad, over here we have adultery. And, and he is trying to teach his son that, son, if you commit this sin, if you commit this crime, if you will, uh, you can do everything you want, but you're not going to appease the one that you have sinned against. Over here, if you steal from them, you're going to have to pay back restitution, and you will appease their anger towards you. Uh, you will take care of that situation, and soon it will be forgotten. But over here, it's a totally, totally different story. Now, I don't want to be up here teaching this no, matter, no, no more than you want to be out there hearing it. I'm just telling y'all right, right now, I don't even want to be here. I text my wife before I said, baby, are you going to be here? Because this is going to be rough tonight. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people right now hurting. And this is, this, is not, it's, this is not to make anybody feel no worse than they already feel. This is to warn those that it hasn't happened yet. And this is for us to see the seriousness of this deal. It is, it is being portrayed on TV like it's no big deal. It is so nonchalant on TV, and what's happening is that mentality is creeping into the church, and it's creeping into our young people because our young people watch it all the time, hours and hours and hours and on TV, and so that when they do finally get married, it is not that big a deal. But God says it's a big deal. It causes pain that you can't get over. Now, I'm glad. I'm glad God forgives sin, aren't you? And I'm glad that Jesus' blood will wash away every sin. But I'm telling you right now, adultery is not soon forgotten. You can heal. You can move forward. You can, you can uh, 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 go forward and, and, and make a life. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's not soon forgotten. Please be careful. Please consider this. Please, when you're feeling tempted, please consider this. 
So, preacher, what do I do? What do I do? If there's any least bit attraction to another person, you need to go home and figure out what's wrong at home. Because the more in love you are with your spouse, the less attracted you're going to be to somebody else. And if you're being drawn over here, there's something missing. There's something missing. I'm telling you, there's something missing. There's, there's an emotional drainage. I, I, I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, you need to go find out what's missing and say, baby, we got to get this thing figured out right now because I need you and I need you to need me and we don't need nobody else. Are y'all with me? <clears throat> Let me say this. Let me say this as we go to the, to the next page. And I'm not making any, I'm not making any excuse because there's no excuse for adultery. There's no excuse for adultery. None. Zero. How, how many? Say it with me. Zero. But there are causes. And just because, just because this spouse steps out, I'm not excusing it, but sometimes there's reasons at home that causes that. So before we jump on the one that messed up, Usually, it takes two to tango, or not. Y'all with me? In other words, everybody wants to jump on the one that messed up, but they don't say nothing about the one that was a cold fish for 10 years. They don't say nothing to the one that would not show any affection whatsoever, would not show any desire whatsoever. All they do is think about this one. Now, I don't like this, and I, I hate this situation. I don't like it whatsoever. But we need to fix both situations. Are y'all with me? Whew. Chapter 7. Y'all still love me? It's going to get worse. Verse 1, he reminds them again. He reminds them again. My son, keep my words. Lay out my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live in my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. What's he doing again? Get back to the book. Get back to the book. I'm telling you, if we'll stay in this book, somebody told me a a cool statement. Uh, This book uh, 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 will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And that is so true. That is so true. Every time he kept coming back to the word, coming back to the word, coming back to the word. I can, I can go back to every time I got ignorant and stupid on God. I was, I was really shying away from the word, either getting too busy or, 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 or just, just neglecting his word but i'm telling you when you're staying in the book there's something about it that gives you an inner strength to do what you need to do are y'all with me say amen now let's talk about verse five he says stay in the book stay in my word for this reason that they may keep thee from the strange woman from the stranger which flattereth with her words there's the flattery again be careful be careful what you're listening to for at the window of my house i look through my casement And beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Now, everything we just talked about, about adultery and and, and sexual temptation in this manner in chapter 6, he's fixing to give you a real live illustration. He's going to tell you a story of someone who did everything they wasn't supposed to do. Are y'all with me? He says, I seen a simple one out there. Uh, uh, somebody didn't have no getting out of the rain sense. He, he just, let me show you and explain to you. In other words, he's sitting here saying, son, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. And he begins to tell the story of one that he saw. Now watch what he says. And beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. First thing I want you to see here, I want you to see the proximity that's determined. Number one, the proximity that's determined. Let's, I'm going to use a different, a different situation here. Say I'm an alcoholic. Say I'm an alcoholic. I ain't, I ain't never been, and, and so whatever. It's not, it's not an issue for me, but say it was, say it was. It'd be hard for me to get drunk right here. 
wouldn't it? Matter of fact, let's just use the same sin. It'd be hard for me to cheat on Tammy right here. It would be. Why? Proximity. What if I'm in a car with somebody that's not, I'm, I'm not married to uh, 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 on a hill far away? This is not rocket scientists. Scientists. It's not rocket science. Science. Scientists wouldn't have said that. Amen. What is happening? We're putting ourselves in bad situations. You see, there's always going to be temptation. Men, men, pay attention, men. All the men in here, listen to me real good. Let me just tell you something. Till the day you die, you're going to be tempted. <laughs> I was at a... There was... <laughs> this is just too funny. I, I'm, I, a preacher asked a man... This, this is in real life. This really happened. A preacher asked an older gentleman... Uh, I was told he was in his 80s, but he was up there, whatever whatever the age was. But he said, uh, Brother so-and-so, at what age did you? You don't have to worry about that temptation anymore. He said, you better ask somebody a little older than me. <laughs> now, here's the deal. Temptation is always going to be there. Tempta- the, the problem is not temptation. The problem is when temptation and opportunity find each other. That's when we got a problem. That's when the situation is bad because of proximity. You say, where are you getting that? I'm getting that from right here. Watch this, verse 8. Passing through the street, what's the next word? Near. He didn't have no business where he was at. His proximity to danger, his proximity to temptation, it was a dangerous situation. He put himself into a place where he could be overcome by temptation. If you struggle real bad with lust, you don't need to hang out at the beach where there's bikinis everywhere. If you struggle real bad with alcohol, you don't need to go hang out at the bar and grab a Coke. That's foolish. That doesn't even make sense. Are y'all with me? If you if you're struggle with food, you don't need to hang out at a buffet. It's, it's simple. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to make a point. Proximity. We, we put ourselves in these situations. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Now, what you doing out there in the dark? My grandmother always told me this, and you might not agree with this. She said, she would always tell me, honey, nothing good can happen after midnight. Nothing good. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't see this. In other words, where you're at and when you're there will greatly determine whether you fall or not. Don't set yourself up for failure. I do not ride in a car by myself with another woman that I'm not related to. I don't. One, they talk about me bad enough in Coleman, I don't need to help them. Number two, I don't need the temptation. I don't need the temptation. I don't need to set myself up for failure. There have been so many pastors have messed up because they've counseled alone. That don't happen. That don't happen. Number one, it don't look right, and I don't need the temptation. Neither do they. Y'all with me? Don't set your, oh, it's just a lunch. I know we're not married, and we're just co- co-workers at work, uh, but it's, it's just a lunch. How, how harmful can it be? Well, invite your spouse with you. Invite your spouse to go on that lunch with you if it's no big deal. It is a big deal. <clears throat> I just talked with a gentleman today. His daughter, his, her husband left her. He's a police officer, and, he's, and, and he is a partner with a, a lady cop, and he left her for, for this other person because they work together all the time. They're in close proximity all the time. I don't recommend that. I don't care what your profession is. That's a dangerous thing to do because proximity will greatly determine whether you fall or stand. Are you all with me? Let me give you a point. How many of y'all remember Abraham and Lot? Who messed up in the deal? Who messed up in the deal? 
Lot. I wonder why. Here we have, here we have Abraham and Lot. And Abraham, Abraham says, hey, you pick wherever you want to go. And Lot, you pick wherever you want to go. And this is what Lot did. Now, we know the people of Sodom was wicked because the Bible says it in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13. But look what it says in verse 12. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He just said, I'm going to go this direction. He wasn't in the city all at one time. He was just that, that direction. Now, watch the next one. Next time we find Lot, it says he, he was captured. He was captured by foreign kings, and Abraham had to go rescue him. But watch what it says about him. First, he just went that, that direction. Genesis 14, 12 says this, And they took Lot, Abraham's brother, who dwelt in Sodom. Now he's in Sodom. Now watch what it says, Genesis 19, 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Most oriental cities of that day they always did business in the gate. So this is really, a lot of scholars believe that he was now not just a dweller and a citizen of Sodom, he's a leader. And he was a righteous man. According to the New Testament, he was a righteous man. The Bible says he vexed his righteous soul seeing all the wickedness that was around him. But it started with just going that direction. Nobody just jumps into bed. It starts with flattering words. It starts with a glance. It starts with a look. It starts with a conversation. It starts with, are y'all with me? Be careful of proximity. Be careful of setting yourself up for failure. The Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee fornication. Say that with me. That's sex out of marriage. Say it with me. Flee fornication. It does not say fight. There are times in your life when you need to fight. It says resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist means to fight. Sometimes we need to fight temptation. Sometimes we need to fight uh, 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 the devil. Are y'all with me? But when it comes to sexual temptation, he says, put your gloves down and put your Reeboks on and break camp. You do not need to fight temptation in the back of a car. You don't need to be in the back of a car. What did Joseph do? Did, did, he, try to talk, did he try to talk Potiphar's wife out of the situation? Did he, she, if y'all don't know it, Potiphar uh, uh, was, was Joseph's master. He was sold into slavery, and here he is in Egypt, and his wife had the eye for him. Y'all know throwing them glances that we talked about a while ago, and she wanted to lay with him, and, and, and she waited till nobody was in the house but him. She found him and said, ain't nobody here. Let's get it on. And he said, uh-uh. And he ran. And the Bible says she reached out and grabbed his coat. He ran. He did not stay. He did not decide. He did not wonder. He did not try to talk her out of it. He did not try to explain why this is a bad thing. He ran. Proximity. Say he lost his coat, but he kept his character. Proximity. Don't set yourself up for failure. And let me say this. Be honest with yourself. You know when she says that little thing or he says that little thing and you get those little feelings. When you do, let that scare you to death. And be honest. Because I'm telling you, when you're sitting on the other side of this thing, just like in chapter 5, you'll say, why in God's name did I didn't listen to that preacher? Amen? Listen. So there's nothing evil riding in the car. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from the appearance. All. What? All. Come on, y'all. Y'all. I got two more points. Y'all going to tighten up. Amen. Abstain from all appearance. All don't, don't, it, it don't even have to be evil. He just says if it appears that way, you need to leave it alone. Be careful. We see the proximity that's determined. Do, do y'all see that in verse 8 and 9? <laughs> do y'all see that in verse 8 and 9? 
place and time. There's a time to be home. And by the way, guys, uh, some of us some of us need to understand when you have a family, you don't need to be out catting around. It's time to be home and grow up. Verse number, verse number ten. First, we see the proximity that's determined in verse eight and nine. Then we see the perpetrator that's described. Verses ten, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without? She don't ever stay home. Now she's in the streets and lieth in wait at every corner. Let's look at the perpetrator a little bit. First A, I want you to see her dress. She has the attire of a harlot. I was watching a cop show. Uh, matter of fact, I think it was yesterday. Uh, and they were arresting people. I mean, it was, um, I, I don't know about y'all, but I, it, that fascinates me. How people act. And they're caught. I mean, they're caught. I don't know why they're going to act the way they are, but it's just an amazing thing. And 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 I remember when I was a little kid and the cop show first come out. Y'all remember, bad boy, bad boy, what you going to do? You remember that one? I mean, they've, they've modified it big time now. I mean, it's it's huge. Well, they were bringing in prostitutes. And honestly, I wanted to cry. I really did. I seen these young women, and, and I'm thinking all that they have going for them in their life, and they don't think there's anything going for them. This is all they have. And it just broke my heart. But then when I read these verses and I look, and there's no doubt, there's no doubt who they are because they have the attire of a harlot. Now, in, in, in the day that we see here, in the day that we see here, in the day now, isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing how relaxed that the culture has become when it comes to women's dress? What is the attire of a harlot? What is a harlot? Somebody that sells sex. Now, what is the attire of a harlot? The attire of a harlot is somebody who's advertising what she's selling. Are y'all with me? And I'm not trying to be vulgar, and I'm I'm just trying to be just plain. Listen, if it's not for sale, it doesn't need to be advertised. We need to keep it covered. We really do. Men are stimulated by sight. Now I don't need any I don't need any amens from men because I know if you're a man and you got you're you're red blooded, you got this, and if you don't, you got a problem. But you're stimulated by sight. God made you that way. God wired you that way. Ladies, let's keep that in mind. There's nothing wrong with being attractive for your husband, but you don't need to be attracting nobody else to you. And, and, and if it's not for sale, let's not advertise it. Let's not be revealing. And by the way, you can be covered and still be revealing. There were some, some of those harlots and prostitutes that were arrested and brought in, and they were completely covered, but it, what they were covered with was so tight you could see every dimple and pimple. Say amen. So how, it's no different if it's immodest. Do you know what the Bible says? It says that women are to have modest apparel. A good, a good rule of thumb is this. Let everything be attracting to your face. Listen, let, let your clothing be to a point that men are pointed to your face and the reflection of your face nowhere else. Because what God gave you, he gave it to you for you and your husband. Nobody else. Nobody else. Especially at church. Especially at church. If we're Christians, if we're Christians, we're supposed to look like Christians. And here's, a lot of times the problem is, is everybody's idea of modesty is different. It really is. But I think, I think if we'll really pray about it, I believe the Holy Spirit is big enough. I, I'm not going to get a set of measurements out. I'm not going to do that. But I guarantee you this, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. You may tell you what's the problem today. It's because our culture is so sex-saturated that, that it is so depraved and degenerated in their thinking, you can't hardly find modest clothes anymore. But think about it. Think about it, ladies. Think about it. Let's not 
let's not promote or cause a man to sin because of what we wear. Because I promise you this, he may sin by lusting, but you'll stand accountable because you contributed to it. She wore the attire of a harlot. Not only that, but I want you to see her demeanor. Not just her dress, but her demeanor. She's loud and stubborn. Loud and stubborn. Do you know what the Bible describes a a godly woman and her demeanor? Over in the New Testament, I believe it's in Peter, the Bible describes a godly woman as this, one with a meek and quiet spirit. Now look at the difference. Loud and stubborn, meek and quiet. Loud and stubborn, harlot. Meek and quiet, a godly woman. Now I'm not saying that everybody's character is different, but let's think about this a minute. Uh, I was talking with a, a, a young lady that was really struggling because men were constantly hitting on her, and she didn't want that. And, and one of the situations I was able to do is share this with, I said, look at this verse. Loud and stubborn. And because a lot of times, uh, some, some ladies are very outgoing. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they're very friendly, not meaning to be anything but that. But when men see that, how was this woman? Loud and stubborn. But what does God say? One And, and ladies, most men, most men are not going to hit on somebody that they don't think they're going to be successful in the endeavor. It's, it's, it is what it is. And so here we have a comparison. We see her dress. We see her demeanor. Then look at this. I want you to see her deception. Her deception. The next verse. We find... Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at the corner. We find this simple guy who's lacking understanding. She grabs him. And by the way, by the way, you can, you, can, you can turn this around too. You can turn this around. It goes both ways. This is what she says in verse 14. I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. In other words, she's been to the temple. This was a false, idolatrous temple. She says, I've done been to church. I've paid my vows, and, and, and I have these sacrifices. Now, what was she doing? What was she doing? She was trying to bring God into the deal. She was trying to justify her actions. She couches her invitation with religious terms. The fellowship offerings were offerings to the gods. She wants the affair to look respectable. Surely God will understand. Doesn't God want us to be happy? Most people will go to great lengths to justify their adultery. Then she makes the invitation look sweet and inviting. After all, if sin didn't sound good and look good and feel good, why would any of us be tempted? Sin can taste sweet as honey, but it will always turn bitter. Don't, don't bring God into a situation. I've heard people out of their own mouths say, I just believe God brought us together. Both of them, out of a, both of them leaving their spouses to come together and they're trying to say God done it. Why? They feel so much guilt. They try to justify their situation. You can never, it's never right. It's never right to do wrong, to do right. Are y'all with me? Well, I just think I just think God was in this. No, no. If 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 God said not to do it, He can't be in you doing it. Because God don't contradict Himself. Don't try to justify the situation. Are y'all with me? Deception. She's justifying it, and then she begins to to tell him all the good stuff, all the tempting things, and it's very tempting. People say there's no fun in sin. That's crazy. If it wasn't fun, it wouldn't be tempting. If it was not alluring, it wouldn't be so damaging. But we see what happens with her, her much fair speech. Verse 21, she caused him to yield with the flattering of her lips. She forced him. I want you to see not only the proximity that's determined, the perpetrator that's described, then the pain that's developed. The pain that's developed. Look what happens. 
Now, remember, this is Solomon speaking to his son. He says, son, he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. In other words, they don't have no clue what's fixing to happen. They think we're going to have this great night, this enjoyable night of pleasure. They has no idea he's walking into certain death, certain destruction. Why? You can't take a fire in your bosom and not be burned. I, I, I wrote this down. I want you to, sexual temptation got the big three. Now, what is that? First, we have Samson. Samson's biggest issue is he had woman problems. He did. This area of his life was so weak. Sexual temptation got the strongest man. Sexual temptation got the man closest to God's own heart, David. Now, let me talk about how many of y'all remember what happened to Samson? Those that you don't, let me tell you what happened to him. They caught him. They arrested him. He lost the touch of God on his life. He lost the power that God gave him because he trifled with the touch of God in his life. They arrested him. They chained him to a pillar and poked out his eyes. Then they put him in the middle of a coliseum and tied him to pillars of the coliseum to mock him and make fun of him because at one time in his life, he was a champion for God. Did y'all hear me? He was a champion for God. And in his last dying wish, in his last dying request, he said, God, I know I've sinned greatly, but let me have, let me, let me have one more go at this thing. And he pushed the pillars in, and the whole Colosseum collapsed and killed thousands and thousands of Philistines, even his own life, because of this thing that we're talking about tonight. Y'all know the story of David. David and Bathsheba. David should have been fighting. David should have been in the battle. And that, that tells us a lot right there. When we take a break on God, we're in dangerous territory. He should have been fighting, but he goes to the rooftop of a house and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing. He looks upon her, lusts after her. He takes her and lays with her, commits adultery with her. Y'all know the story. Then, then uh, when he finds out his sin is, is going to be uh, displayed because now she is pregnant, he calls for her husband to come in from the field and tries to do trickery. But God wouldn't let him ha- let, God would not let that take place. And y'all know the story. He had him eventually killed. So now he's gone from being a pervert to a murderer. See, it, it, it's just this is a downward slide. And, and he is confronted by the prophet Nathan. We're talking about the pain that's developed. He is confronted by the prophet Nathan, and he tells a story of a little lamb. Y'all, y'all know the story. David has no clue. David has no clue. He's walking right into he's walking right into Nathan's story. He said, "David, there was a man who had one little lamb, a precious lamb. He was a poor man, and this lamb was like a child. This lamb was like a family member. And this man over here who had plenty of flocks, he had plenty of sheep. He was a very wealthy man and rich man. He came because he had a guest. He came and took this one lamb from this one man and he killed that lamb. And boy, that infuriated David." Isn't it amazing how we can be so deep in our sin that we're blind to our own foolishness? And he said, that man will pay fivefold. And Nathan looked at him and said, thou art the man. And y'all know what happened. David's son rapes his sister. David's other son, Absalom, is so infuriated by it, he kills that son. Tamar's brother kills the firstborn. And I believe it's even, it was more, it was more than just revenge. I believe he wanted the throne. So what was he doing? He was falling in the steps of his daddy, taking something that did not belong to him. Absalom then ran him out of town. Absalom tried to take over the kingdom, his own son. And then he's caught in a tree by his hair. And they throw a spear through his body. 
But first off, before any of that happened, the baby is born of Bathsheba. This little baby. And God says the baby's going to die. And the baby dies. And here he is paying so dearly for one night of passion. One night that we thought we could get away with. Can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? Listen, this, this got the man closest to God's own heart. This not only got the man closest to God's own heart, this got Solomon, the wisest man ever to live. Woman problems. Listen, women led him astray. He was so wise and so right with God and so close to God and because of the women he allowed in his life and the situations that we're talking about they led him away from God and into destruction preacher what am I saying what 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 what, what? I'm just saying this let's be careful what can we do then one we can stick to the book We can get as much of the word of God in our heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Are y'all with me? Then the second thing we can do is reinforce and strengthen our present relationship. The closer I am to God and his word, the closer I am to my spouse, the harder it's going to be for somebody to get in between us. I've never, I've never had, and we're talking about sexual sin, sexual temptation. I'm, I'm just saying it like this. I've never had anybody come into my office with marriage issues that had a great sex life. Never, not one time. And we think that this is not important, and it is critically important. And we have, we have marriages that are struggling, and we don't want to do anything about it, whether it's pride. I'm not going to talk to nobody. I don't want nobody. To, I, don't, I ain't going to tell nobody my problems. Be careful. Because that attitude is what will go before a fall. How strong is your relationship? Because it will be tested. What did what did what was the first thing? What was the first thing that Satan tempted Jesus with? All you Bible scholars who need to read your Bible. What was the first thing that Satan was tempted with? Satan tempted Jesus with at food? Okay. Why? Why was he hungry? He'd been fasting 40 days. What's the point? The weakest area of your relationship is where Satan's going to target. And if there is a reoccurring theme, then you need to check up. Are y'all with me? We just keep having this same problem. What are you doing about it? If If you're hearing a ticking sound in the motor, you don't check the back tire. Y'all with me? See, y'all, y'all think I'm trying to be funny. I'm just trying to be plain so we get it. I'm tired of divorces. I'm tired of, I'm tired of seeing people weeping and wailing and broken with something that can be prevented. I just don't think this is a place to talk about. Where do we talk about it then? Where do we talk about it then? They're not going to talk. The only thing you're going to get at the barbershop is wrong. And do y'all notice in your notes everything that I've said, I've given you what for? I'm preaching the book. Now, wherever it lands, it lands. Let's just obey it. Let's just be obedient. And it's not easy. That Father's Day stuff, it's a killer. 
It's easy preaching and hard living. But I'm telling you what, if we don't, we're going to be in a mess. Y'all with me? I want to say this too, and we're going to pray. Uh, preacher, I've done messed up. I've done been, what do I do now? Find forgiveness, make things right, get right with God, and go forward. Go forward. Listen, I can't change yesterday. How many of y'all like change yesterday? How many of y'all like change some of today? But we can't. But I guarantee you this, I can change tomorrow. I can change tomorrow. And let's go forward. Paul said this, Forgetting those things which are behind, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. The closer I get to the mark, listen, that thing may never go away, but I'm going away from it. That's good. I like that. That thing may never go away, but the closer I get to where God has for me, I'm going away from it. I'm going away from it. Let's be careful of our proximity. Let's stay in the book. And let's strengthen our present relationships so that never happens. Say amen. amen. Father, please help us do this stuff. God, help us to apply this stuff to our marriages and our homes. God, help us to do everything we can to fight Satan and flee temptation. And God, will thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good night, everybody.